If you'd like a way to earn extra money by giving your opinion on products that you already use or new products that are currently in development, you should check out User Interviews. User Interviews connects researchers with quality participants. Participants earn money for their feedback on real products, and it's free to sign up. You can apply to your first study in under five minutes, and most studies are less than an hour and pay over $60. Some studies pay several hundred dollars for a one-on-one -on -one interview. This extra income would be great to add to an emergency fund or an investment account, or even if you just want to treat yourself. Are you ready to earn extra income from sharing your expert opinion? Head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today. Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and embroidery enthusiast now, I see your little <laughs> hoop in the background, is gonna, Connie, sorry, embroidery enthusiast Connie is gonna tell us about Carrie Stainer. That is my eat a bag of dicks that a listener said. <laughs> like glow in the dark and it's awesome and I love it. It looks cute on your shelf back there. Okay, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the abduction and subsequent escape of Stephen Stainer. He was held in captivity for seven years before he was able to escape, all while saving the life of another boy. We didn't dive too deep into his family life and dynamic, and there was a specific reason for that, as we talked about last episode. Tonight, we're going to talk about his brother, Carrie Stainer. Carrie was one of five kids. He had three sisters and one younger brother that we know. His dad was a mechanic. His mom ran a daycare business and also worked at the cafeteria and local high schools. On the surface, they were a pretty normal family. You looked in, you're like, okay, like this is pretty nuclear. They're like blue collar. Blue collar. They spent time camping, mainly at the amazing Yosemite National Park. Carrie was a good student, a baseball player, charismatic, quiet. The family was thrust into the spotlight when Stevie was abducted and held captive for seven years. Kay gave an interview with People Magazine where she said, I more or less closed up. I didn't leave the house for a year, and if I had to, someone else had to be there in case Stevie came home. I chose to believe he was alive. Kay took the recluse route where Delbert, his father, said that in that same interview that he went berserk for a time and that he would ride around in his pickup with a sawed-off shotgun in the front seat just in case he saw someone with Stevie. He began to suspect everyone had something to do with it, friends, neighbors, and even family members. If a child dies, you bury the child. With a missing child, you have a knot in your chest that never leaves, which I can't even imagine. I would assume that's exactly how I would feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Carrie spent his adolescence feeling invisible. His parents hardly let him do anything outside the house or away from the home, worried that he would suffer a similar fate of his brother. Yeah. Carrie was 11 years old when Stevie was abducted. When his brother returned home, he felt once again the attention of the family was on his brother, which I mean, rightfully so. It was. Mm -hmm. He had been gone for seven years. Carrie himself mentioned on several occasions that he was just jealous of his brother. He was jealous of the love and the attention that he received. But much of the disadvantage of the family, the Stainer parents did not believe in therapy. 
not for Stevie, not for the family. And you cannot go through an experience like that and expect to have any type of normal or semi-normal life without a little bit of therapy, at the least. Yes. I would think that even his parents needed therapy. The siblings Uh, needed therapy. Steven definitely needed therapy. And I know because we just had a review that said like we like to insert ourselves into qualifications that we don't have. So no, we do not have qualifications that will dictate the medical care of someone. But I'm just saying it's common sense. Like, do you think you would have been able to acclimate back into society as well as you did had you not had therapy? No, probably not. But I also know that my mom went, but none of my other, like my brothers didn't go. My dad didn't go. And I I definitely think it would have benefited my younger brother. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it would have benefited my dad, too, but he's just kind of like a closed up. I think they they all probably could have benefited, but do you think like it would have been my opinion, man? <laughs> do you think it would have been different had you been abducted for seven years? Yeah. One hundred percent. I think had I been abducted for seven years and then came back. Yeah, I definitely think we probably would have needed a lot more family therapy mm-hmm. than what actually ever occurred. Because I read in one book that said uh, it's a when Stevie came home, it was a huge like family learning curve because his parents still treated him like he was seven. Oh, yeah. Because he was, you know, so it's like. Or at least. Yeah, because to them, he never got to grow up, you know, he never Mm -hmm. was able to. But oof, that would be so hard. So hard. I can't even imagine like. like, That's a different person now. Mm hmm. Carrie was born on August 12th, 1961. At a young age, he was diagnosed with trichotillomania, which is a disorder that causes someone to compulsively pull out their hair. Sometimes it's the hair on their head. Sometimes it's eyebrows, eyelashes. It's an impulse control disorder. And in other, we can feel sorry for the kid, but not for the monster that they grow into. Carrie was sexually abused by his uncle, Jesse Stainer. And I guess that it was widely known throughout the family that he was a pedophile who would molest the older male children in the family. But kids were still made and allowed to go stay the night at his house. Ew. His, after molesting um, Carrie, his uncle was arrested and charged with the crime. And again, we know what the Stainer family thought about therapy. So he wasn't given the proper mental health treatment that was needed. And... What yeah, so this the- isn't even just like, hey, my brother was taken and then came this back. This is and the that was really- same year. That's crazy. The same year. Carrie's sisters, um, they would have sleepovers and their friends say that Carrie had always been a little creepy. He liked to try to hypnotize the girls and then tell them to take their clothes off under hypnosis. But like they weren't. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you didn't hypnotize us. During a sleepover, his sister was having, um, he groped one of her friend's breasts and exposed himself to her. And his friends say that, like, he was obsessed with sex. He spent lots of time, like, drawing naked girls, like, talking about it. But they, what they thought was weird was even though he was a very good-looking guy he, and, like, seemingly really into girls, he was never really known to have a girlfriend. But what they didn't know is he suffered from erectile dysfunction and it made it difficult for him to maintain an erection 
because of this, he would eventually only date or talk to girls that were younger and less experienced than him because he was self-conscious about it. Carrie only really had one place that he found solace, and that was in the woods of Yosemite. He would spend time in the woods with his cousin, hiking, exploring, going fishing. And like I said, when I was talking about him drawing naked girls, he was a very talented artist. He drew comics for the school paper, and he had all the skills to be very successful. But he had it in his head that he was a loser, and so the drive wasn't there. It's almost like he counted himself out of the race before it even started. He was just like, nope, I'm a loser. I'm, it's not going to happen for me. When he was 29, he lived with his uncle, Jesse. Yes, the That's... same uncle who sexually abused him as a child. His uncle was a glass worker and installed windows and windshields and taught Carrie the trade. That year, so 1990, Carrie came home to yet another traumatic event. His uncle Jesse had came home and surprised an intruder who was seemingly trying to burglarize their home when he was shot. Carrie came was home. shot? Jesse was shot. How long was he in jail for? Obviously not Carrie that long. long. Uh-uh. Carrie came home from work to find his uncle dead in the doorway from the gunshot wound. And people initially questioned Carrie's involvement due to their complex history, as you could say. And honestly, he would have had every reason in my book to do something like that. But he was at work. He had a solid alibi. But once everything about Carrie did come to light, the suspicions didn't waver. But honestly, if this man is molesting an entire family of boys, like who knew else he, who like who knew who else he was doing this to? So the list that wanted him dead was probably significant. Really could have been anyone because it still has never been solved. Stainer had a few what could be described as psychotic episodes throughout his young adulthood. One of them in particular, his coworker and longtime friend said that Stainer just started slamming his fist against a piece of plywood to the point like he was bleeding and said that he felt like getting in his truck, driving into the office and killing everyone in there and torturing the place. His friend was like, this is not normal. We are not going to do this. So Stater was taken to a psychiatric hospital where he was recommended to do group therapy, which he declined. And he didn't even go back to work. And when he went to pick up his last check, he told his former coworkers that he was going to move to Santa Cruz to finally pursue his dream of being an artist. But he never made it there. Instead of Santa Cruz, Stainer ended up at the Cedar Lodge, a motel slash restaurant in El Portal, just west of the Yosemite National Park. He worked there as a handyman. He rented a room above the diner. And his coworkers really seemed to like him. They described him as normal, likable, a great smile, fun to hang out with. They would have like movie nights and like the employees, like different rooms that they had. Stainer lived in the room above the diner even during the winter months when he was laid off due to it like being a slower season. It was here that Carrie Stainer would really start to show what type of monster he actually was. On February 15, 1999, Carol's son, 42, her 15-year-old daughter, Julie, and their 16-year-old Argentinian exchange student, Silvina Peloso, were in town because they were visiting the University of the Pacific. Julie had a cheerleading competition there, and she was looking around the campus to see if it was somewhere she would like to go for college. They rented a red Pontiac Grand Prix. You remember those? Oh, I remember those. I had one. They spent the day sightseeing. I was a grand dam. I had, <laughs> I had, I had a black. 
the windows wouldn't roll down in mine and it didn't have <laughs> air conditioning and it was so <laughs> hot. And I had it over the summer one year before it died. Yeah. I had a black Pontiac Grand Am for years. Ugh. Oh, I remember. <laughs> they spent the whole day sightseeing. The girls were having a blast. They were taking pictures. The sons wanted their exchange student, Sylvina, to be able to experience as much of the country as they could while she was staying with them. The girls had lunch at the Cedar Lodge restaurant, rented the movie Jerry Maguire to take back to the room with them for just like a girl's night in. The plan was to relax because in the morning they were going to meet Carol's husband, Jens, at the San Francisco airport to fly to Phoenix to visit his sister. They had big plans to see the Grand Canyon and again, just continue showing Sylvina around the country. But the next day, Carol and the girls didn't show up to the airport. Jens was late, so he thought that when he got there that maybe Carol had went on without him or that she had had the times wrong, which was highly unlike her because she was someone who didn't even do things last minute. She was a planning type of gal. But he flew on to Phoenix thinking that Carol would either beat him there or meet him there. But even into the next day, there was no word from Carol. While he waited to hear from his wife, he played a round of golf in Phoenix, something that would put him at the top of a suspect list in the future. Because they were like, how did you just play a round of golf not knowing where your family was? I could not have lived like with the, the the lack of communication that people had in like earlier decades where you just you're like well you know they didn't call so they're probably just busy yeah, like they're like freaking we, out now <laughs> i started driving i've never driven with because i started driving in 2005 2006 2005 i think yeah it was 2005 i was a sophomore and i had always had a cell phone like from the time that I drove, like there was no driving without one. But obviously that wasn't like a thing. Like not no, everyone. Had no. That was only recently a thing around that time when you mm -hmm. first had it. Yeah. Because when I had it in 2005, I didn't have text messaging. I just could call people. That was Remember it. Remember when texts cost a quarter each? Mm -hmm. Like you had oh, to pay I... for text. I remember there was a boy and I did not know text messages cost money. And I racked up a phone bill racked it up Ooh, 25 cents a message that's crazy Ooh. but after here he played his round of golf and he's like okay something's wrong i gotta start making some calls so he called the rental car agency because this is before you made rent you know reservations online you couldn't just check to see what was going on but he was informed that his wife never returned the pontiac and she never had called to let them know that she planned to extend her rental. Again, not like her at all. So he called the Cedar Lodge where he was told that even though the girls didn't return their hotel keys, they had apparently checked out of their rooms. He immediately knew something was wrong after talking to both the car rental place and the hotel. So he called the park rangers. The initial belief was maybe that Carol had lost control of the car that she was driving because it had been raining and there was poor visibility. And for someone who wasn't used to driving on like those winding roads, it could be a challenge. The motel appeared as if the three girls had just checked out. And luckily, due to the short staff, because it's the winter, the room hadn't been cleaned by the time the park rangers and officers arrived. The key was sitting neatly right by the TV. Wet towels and washcloths were in the bathroom on the floor. Nothing looked out of the ordinary at first glance, but upon further inspection, the investigators realized that there was a bag of souvenirs sitting by the TV as well, 
something that wouldn't have just been left behind. There was also a blanket and a pillow missing, something that Jen said his wife would never take. He's like, yeah, we're not stealing blankets type of people. Like, that's not what we do. (laughs) The whole area was searched, looking for any clue to where Carol, Julie, and Sylvina could be. It seemed like there was a break in the case when Carol's wallet and her IDs and some credit cards were found on a back road in a nearby town of Modesto. So the focus was shift to this town, which at the time, I guess there were like a lot of like, there was a lot of meth and things like that in the area. Mm -hmm. So they had kind of a home base set up at Cedar Lodge, but it was the investigation was shifted from the Cedar Lodge to this town of Modesto. So on that February night around 11 p.m., Carrie Stainer knocked on the door 509. He was armed with a backpack filled with duct tape, rope, and a knife inside. In his hand, he was concealing a gun. When he knocked on the door, he told Carol that he was the maintenance man and that there was a leak in the room above them, and he needed to check to see if it was leaking down into their room. And at first, Carol was a stern no. She was like, nope, you can't come in. But he was very persistent. She had even went into the bathroom and looked and said, no, there's no leak. There's no reason for you to come in. But he insisted he's the maintenance guy. And if someone from a hotel is knocking on the door, like you're going to be, you know, more inclined to let him in. Just be like, oh, so sorry. All right. Get your ass out and then get the hell out. It's 11 o'clock. And he walked in. He headed to the bathroom where he stood in there for a couple of minutes before he came out with a gun. And at first he told them that he was just going to rob them. But then he ordered the two girls into the bathroom while he kept Carol in the bedroom part of the motel room. He immediately strangled her with a rope and took her body to the trunk of the Grand Prix and placed it in there. When he got back to the hotel room, he brought the girls like to where the beds were and he tried to force them to perform sex acts on each other. But Sylvina was, rightfully so, too upset to cooperate with his demands. And he said that he grew tired of her crying So he took her back to the bathroom and strangled her while she knelt in the bathtub. She's 16. She was a foreign exchange student. She was just coming here for like a year abroad, like just to experience the culture. And not that Julie and Carol's lives are any less meaningful. But to me, that like that gutted me because, yeah, you know, like you're like none of her family's here. Her family's in Argentina. No, she's pretty much, I mean, she's at school, but she's also like, this is vacation, you know? Yeah. It sucks. Julie was raped multiple times, both in her hotel room and in the hotel room next door. He left her tied up in the room next door as he cleaned the crime scene. He even wiped his own hairs from the bed sheet just in case anyone would look there. He wet the towels and put them on the floor so it appeared that the girls had just left without checking out with the front desk. He put Sylvina's body also in the trunk with Carol's before carrying Julie out of the hotel room, naked, wrapped in the blanket from the room. He drove almost 90 miles with Julie. He said that he made small talk with her, but he had, but she had no idea that her mom and her friend had been murdered and were in the trunk of the car. He turned off the road towards Lake Don Pedro and disgustingly compared removing her from the car to carrying to a husband carrying his new bride over the threshold. He told her that he was disgusting. He told her that he was sorry. And in the most fucked up thing that I had read up until this point, knowing what happened to his brother, he said, I wish I could keep you. What? Like your brother didn't just experience 
that level of trauma for seven years. And now you're just like, oh, I'm sane. Ugh. He said that he raped her one more time before he slit the young girl's throat with the cut so deep it nearly decapitated her. He hid her body in some brush and drove the car even deeper into the forest where he covered it in gas and set it on fire. And apparently it was not a big deal to smell things burning in that area um, because people burned their trash all the time. He used the money that he stole from Carol to pay for a $150 cab ride back into town. But he asked to be driven to the Yosemite Lodge, which for our listeners a couple weeks ago is where Kenneth Parnell worked when he abducted his brother. He asked the driver if she believed in Bigfoot, which is a huge thing because I guess Carrie was like 100% convinced he had seen Bigfoot before in the woods. He was obsessed with it. He described the sounds it made, how it talked. He regularly went out there looking for Bigfoot. And I'm not saying that Bigfoot's not like, I'm not saying that at all. He was kind of a bummer because like I'm with you, but also I don't want to have anything in common with this idiot. Exactly. Once he got back into town, he drove the opposite direction to throw Carol's wallet in Modesto just to throw cops off the trail. And it worked for like a whole month. A month after the three women were murdered, a hiker found the burnt Grand Prix. The hiker immediately reported it to the police. And inside the trunk were the charred remains of two victims, but it would take dental records and DNA tests to identify the bodies. Because of how the car was impossible to see from the road, it was very well covered. The FBI agents on the case knew that they were dealing with someone who was familiar to the area to even know that something could be down there. The FBI agents had actually interviewed him when they were looking at the hotel's crime scene prior to the car being found. But he was not on their list of suspects at all. He even said like off-putting things to them like, why wasn't the FBI called in for my brother? Jin's son, uh, Julie's dad, was also interviewed significantly for like three to four hours, which included a polygraph test because he showed what the police described as a lack of emotion, which is probably shock, and the whole golf game that he had played before. He alerted them. Like, you were comfortable enough to, like, if you, uh, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, you would say uncomfortable things to the FBI if you didn't want them to look at you, you know? You yeah. would be like, oh, yeah, why didn't you come see my brother? Like, blah, blah, Like, that doesn't have do anything this? to do with this right now. Why are you asking about that? And, like, in regards to Julie's dad and, like, Carol's husband, I know how I am in situations that, are extremely stressful and it is definitely serial killer behavior because it's very much like okay yes you know like very it's like you go into you know fight or flight and it's very much just the emotion leaves it's like okay we have to handle this but stainer knowing that he wasn't on the radar for the murders decided to get cocky he decided to send a letter to the police that said Quote, we had fun with this one, with a map of where Julie's body was. Because he thought by saying we, he would continue to throw the police off his trail, which, I mean, it worked, by insinuating that there were multiple people responsible. Stainer paid a random kid $5 to spit in a, t- in a cup so that he could seal the envelope with their spit instead of his. Ew. Which is like, oh, so, yeah, gross. Also, just like tuck, like you don't have to. Lick and seal an envelope. Put some water on it. <laughs> right? 
But I think it was he wanted them to find DNA because he wanted them to go on this wild goose hate goose chase to find out who did this. Yeah, they always get cocky, don't they? They always get mm-hmm. like, ooh, now I'm tricking. Now this is like the thing for me. It wasn't mm-hmm. enough that I just murdered people. Now I also want to think that I'm smarter than all the investigators. Exactly. Police were chasing all of the wrong leads, but unfortunately they were the only leads that they had. They brought in several local people who had various criminal criminal charges in the past for questioning. Uh, two men, Michael Larwick and Eugene Dykes, were arrested. When Eugene Dykes implicated himself and his half-brother Michael in the hopes of cutting a deal related to other charges he was facing. And police were very confident that they had the the right guys in custody. And they even would do, they did like a huge press release. They did like an interview saying that like, we have the guys. Everyone thought that they had the right guys, except for one investigator, FBI um, officer, Jeff Rennick. He was fairly confident that the wrong men were in custody. And he was fairly confident that they weren't even looking in the right area for the person who murdered these girls. And he was 100% right. He made such a big deal about his frustrations that he was replaced as head of the case. Like he was originally head of the case and they oh, took him off of it. Oh, he was the head of the case? Yeah, and they yeah. took him off of it. They cited like messy, like his work was messy, but he was like, yeah, this is, I made too big oh, of a deal about this. you mean he this. was right. So weird. Mm-hmm. There was also another woman arrested in the case because she randomly had Carol's checking account numbers and she had stolen a total of $365,000 from them. What? Mm-hmm. That's insane. That's so much money, especially then. Yeah. I was like, I don't even know what that amount of money looks like. Like, there's... That's chaotic. Like, If you try to steal you... $365,000 from my bank account, you're going to overdraft it. Like one hundo. <laughs> also, bad luck on her part wrong person to rob mm-hmm. whoa that's so crazy i think that because it never says like exactly how she got the card information or like the credit card information i think she may have found the wallet first you know oh, and, like, like one of those cards yeah because she was from the modesto area but they assumed because of this that she was connected Involved. to the case but like you said like <laughs> bad timing But because there was such a big deal made about the right people being behind bars, people started to drop their guard again. Joey Ruth Armstrong was 26 years old. She lived with her fiancé, Michael Raffaelli. She worked at Yosemite, where she taught kids about nature. She led nature hikes. And she just really hoped to get, like, the youth as interested in nature and the outdoors as she was. She lived in one of the cabins in Yosemite. She loved her life. She loved the summers that she was experiencing. She was just soaking up every blade of grass, every sunset. She just she was described as just, quote, just being so happy and so amazing. She was so spirited. She was so magnetic and so fun. She was a bright spark in many people's lives. Her dad told her to be careful because of the previous murders, but she assured him that the murderers had been caught. Well, yeah, the cops are telling everyone they were like, we got got nothing to worry about here. Nothing to see here. Which, I mean, you have a guy who's like, oh, yeah, I did that. So I can't fault the cops completely because they had some dip dip. You're like, maybe I can get a worse deal if I murdered three people. 
What kind of deal are you trying to cut? Exactly. That's what I thought. I was like, what else did you do? If the lesser of it is these three murders, like, what else did you do? Ooh. That's a big oof. On July 22nd, 1999, a welfare check was requested for Joey because she was supposed to go visit friends in Sausalito and then to San Jose to see her grandmother while her fiancé was on a three-day hiking trip and her other roommate was away on business. She never showed to her friends and she never showed to her grandmother, so the welfare check was requested. Immediately, officers knew that something was wrong because her door was left partially open and her truck was in the driveway, fully packed and ready to go. On the porch, broken sunglasses and a tipped-over watering can lay there. Inside, there was the faint sound of music playing. Unlike the neat and tidy room 509, the bedroom was a mess. The furniture was moved. The bed was in disarray. The crime scene held tire tracks, distinctive fingerprints, footprints, and there was even a trail of broken branches that were followed and unfortunately ultimately led to the discovery of Joey's body, where she was found dressed in jeans and a white shirt, but she had been decapitated and her head wasn't anywhere in the immediate area oh my god Mm -hmm. the day before the welfare check joey was outside watering her garden before she left on her trip stainer pulled up stopped the car and asked her if she had ever seen bigfoot in the area she responded that she hadn't and she assured and he assured her that she needed to stay alert because he was out there and stainer had actually seen him before not far from the cabin that she was living in and Stainer would later say that that's actually why he, why he was out in the woods that day, because he was genuinely out looking for Bigfoot. He talked to Joey long enough for him to realize that she was there alone, and that's when he pulled a gun on her. He told her to go inside of the cabin, where he tied her up, put duct tape across her mouth, and he assured her, just like before, that he was just going to rob her. When it got dark, he forced her into the passenger side of his 1979 International Scout which I hate because that's such a cool car. Well, truck. It looks like an old Bronco type thing. He was going to rape and murder her once he got her to a secure, like secluded location. But Joey wasn't going down without the biggest fight of Carrie's life. One that would ultimately bring him ruin. Like that would blow the whole popsicle stand up. You go, Joey. She threw herself out of the open passenger window when he started to pull away and just took off running. Panicked, Stainer chased after her. When he finally caught up to her, because we'll post pictures, he's a fit guy. Like, he's he's a big dude. He tackled her and drug her into the woods, and she fought like hell, kicking, scratching, screaming, anything she could. When he tried to make his first cut across her neck, she tucked her neck down to her chest so he wouldn't be able to get a deep cut. After he made the first cut, he drug her further into the woods where he where she was still kicking and still fighting like hell. So he put his foot on her head and sliced her neck again. And she was still kicking and scratching and fighting after having her neck cut open twice. He delivered what would be the third and final cut to her neck. And he said that he tried to cover his tracks, but there was too much blood and it was fresh. So it was too sticky for him to for anything to like cover over it. He was frustrated when he decapitated her, originally planning on keeping her head as a souvenir before disposing of it in the creek. Panicked, he didn't tidy up the crime scene like he had done previously. 
Joey fighting saved so many other girls the same fate because it would only be a couple of days and Stainer would be in police custody. People in the area saw his international scout by her house the day she was murdered, and so police put out a bolo on the vehicle pretty quickly. A day or so later, it was spotted 12 miles from the entrance of the park, parked next to the side of the road by the Merced River. On the banks of the river lie a naked stainer smoking a joint just lounging in the sun. Like he had no care in the world. Like he didn't just brutally murder and decapitate a beautiful girl who had her entire life ahead of her. This like is he didn't... in like 1970. It's like 99, right? Is that what yeah. you said? And he's just yes. naked? Yeah. What the hell, dude? When the police nice. pulled over, like to be like, Ayo, what's up? He just stood up like, what's up, guys? This is B. He told them that he worked it as a handyman at the Cedar Lodge, and they immediately took him in for questioning. I'm assuming he got dressed first. He, of course, denied ever being near the area where Joey was murdered. Couldn't be him. He was questioned, and like I said, he denied being in the area, but two witnesses recognized him from being there. So police were like, okay, this is actually like looking kind of good for this guy. And like I said, he's a big guy. He stands over six feet, so he was pretty easily recognizable. The police confiscated his trusty backpack because they were trying to get a warrant to search it. And they didn't have enough to hold him. And they had to wait for the search warrant. So they confiscated his backpack. They let him go. And that night, he was telling everyone that because he sold his TV, he sold his VCR. And he said that he had to sell the stuff so he could fix his truck to move up north. But as he was doing this, the police zeroed in on the fact that his truck tires and the tracks from the crime scene were identical. The next day, the police were going to arrest him at work, but surprise, surprise, he never showed. While they were searching his apartment, finding evidence that not only linked him to Joey's murder, but also Carol, Julie, and Sylvina's, police put out a news bulletin with his face on it but he was too busy partying at a camping resort to notice. He pitched a tent, he played darts, he drank vodka grands, and the bartender recognized him from back in March when he came in sulking about how many cops were around, like what was going on, because the three women had been murdered. And that very next day, she saw his face on the TV with the number that police were like, hey, if you see him, please call, he's very dangerous, and she did not hesitate. And by breakfast, three FBI agents and two sheriffs arrested him. One of the FBI agents, who was supposed to be going away on a romantic birthday trip with his wife and kids, but got called in to do this, was Jeff Rennick, the agent who knew the wrong men were in custody for the murders. He was like, oh no, I'm going to be there for this. I, this is vindication. And, she, and he volunteered to be the one to take Stainer back to the station. And he said that he recognized the last name as he was driving back. And so he asked if he could talk about his brother, Stevie. And Carrie's like, yeah, that's fine. And Rennick said the conversation was really laid back and normal, almost like they were bonding, kind of building like a good rapport. But he had such a rapport with everyone that he met. Even the photo, like the photographer who took his mugshot said, this can't be the guy. He's too nice. The officers were so kind to order him a pizza since he didn't get to finish his breakfast. And... Starve. The person that was there to admin administer the polygraph test and the pizza arrived at the same time. So they asked him what he would like to do first. And he said that he would actually like to just talk to Riddick alone if that was okay. 
it was in that room that he said, I feel like I'm a bad person who did bad things and that this was likely his last pizza ever. No shit, Sherlock. You know, pizza where you're going. He described his desire to kill from a young age, even before his brother was abducted. He described how he planned on killing a previous girlfriend and her kids, but the caretaker of the house showed up and he chickened out. He talked about murdering Joey Armstrong and how he was so mad that she fought so hard and that's why he decapitated her. Uh, Joey's head was eventually found like downstream because the current had carried it. So her parents did have that closure in that sense. He also said that he had information on the Sons and Peloso murders and he would tell the police his involvement if they could meet a couple of his demands. He said that he wanted to be housed in the new prison that was built near Merced and that his parents would be given the fucking reward money that was offered by the Sons for information leading to the arrest of the killer. And it was like $300,000. Yeah, he's like, hey, I know that like the person that you guys are looking for is me and it's my information here. But like, can you give that reward money to my parents? Did they? No. No. no? Okay. I was no. like, did they buy that? Were they like, yeah, okay. That's not the worst demand that he had. I need you to just sit down for this one because this is freaking wild. I'll sit he down asked, further. He asked Riddick. You work all kinds of cases, like beating around the bush that he wanted Rennick to like kind of fill in the blanks. And Rennick, this, uh, uh, an excerpt from this book that I'll link it when we're done. Um, but he said, it's like he did what he wanted me to guess what cases he was referring to when he said he could give me closure. Eventually, he got around to the point. I'd like to see pictures of little girls. And Rennick said child pornography. And he wouldn't call it what it was. He just said, again, you know, pictures and videos of little girls. He said that he thought that they might have such evidence stored in that building. And Rennick said in an interview that he could feel the anger rising up inside of him. He had felt a bond of trust and empathy growing before between the two of them. And that Stainer had even allowed a glimpse inside of him to both the pain and ugliness that caused him to be who he was. And then he said that by putting those conditions to his confession, he was worried that Stainer's motivation was not about giving closure and telling the truth because it was the right thing to do. Instead, it looked like he was seeing what he could get out of them. Yeah, and that's not absolutely just, what it's yes, like. And not something just like a plea bargain, which would be understandable, but something so unspeakable that he couldn't even say the words. Obviously, the answer to all of his requests was a big old Dr. Evil, like, how about no? Like, no, you're not getting any no. of these things. But Rennick did assure him of something. He said that you're going to feel relief by getting this all off of your chest. And Stainer told him, it means I can die with a clear conscience now whenever that day comes, because I know they're going to give me the death penalty. Even if I confess, they're going to give me death. And Stainer did get it all off his chest from the generational sexual deviance in his family because his dad also, and this is why, again, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychologist, but his dad was ordered therapy over the alleged sexual abuse of one of his sisters. So in my head, if he's made to do this therapy and it was all about like a, hey, you're probably a pedophile, like you just sexually abused one of your daughters. 
he it probably therapy left a bad taste in his mouth and that's why he's like we're never going back wait his can you mm-hmm. re-say that i just didn't understand carrie stainer's dad so carrie and stevie's dad uh-huh. was made to do therapy because he was convicted of sexually molesting one of his daughters so his so what dad a, had molested his own his daughter si- as or his sister. yeah his so it'd be carrie's sister Okay, but, Carrie's sister. Yeah, but, but his dad's daughter. Whoa. Yeah. And his uncle, was that his brother? Yeah. So it's like generational. Ugh. He talked about the kidnapping of his brother and like what effect that had on him, his own sexual perversions, just everything. He let it all out, including his role in all four murders. And despite a gag order, he agreed to be interviewed by San Jose TV reporter Ted Rollins, who said that it was like Stainer took a heavy sigh and just word vomited everything. Just all of the details, all the murders with zero emotion. And he wasn't supposed to talk to anyone. They hadn't even had the trial yet. Like he sat down for this TV interview before the trial. They can't let them do that now, right? Like you can't no. do That's that. Incri- yeah. That's like self-incriminating, I would think. Stainer had a pen pal romance with a mom of two from Illinois, but his lawyer told him to cut it out because this chick went on like tv talk shows and stuff saying why he did what he did and why type of childhood he had and blah 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 as you probably know gruesome uses zencaster to record produce and analyze all on one podcast platform if investing is something that you're interested in You'll be excited to learn that Zencaster has recently opened a funding round, allowing listeners like you to own a stake in the company. More than 30,000 passionate creators actively use Zencaster, and it has become the preferred platform for creators to create, grow, and monetize their podcast. Podcasting advertising was the fastest growing marketing channel in 2021. If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com slash Zencaster or click the link in our episode description below to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. He ultimately did take a plea deal in the murder of Joey Armstrong at the request of Joey's mom because she did not want to sit through a lengthy trial. She did not want to hear of the details of the murder and he was spared the death penalty given life without parole under the agreement he would never talk about the murder publicly. When he pled guilty, he said to her mom, her friends, and her fiancé, quote, I wish I could take it back, but I can't. I wish I could tell you why I did such a thing, but I don't even know myself. I'm so sorry. I wish there was a reason, but there isn't. It's senseless. I wish Joey was here, but she's not. I wish I wasn't here, but I am. To which I say, how dare you speak her name? Like, she's not here because of you. Like, because of you. Just like that. He I is. wish it could, but I can't. Like, who gives it shit? You, what you wish doesn't mm-hmm. fucking matter. No, it doesn't matter. And he's actually like, her mom showed him a lot of grace, a lot of grace that I would never have it in me to give. No, absolutely not. No. The trial for the murder, uh, murders of Carol, Julie, and Sylvina hit. During that, his confession was replayed. Sylvina's dad lunged at him, yelling, you son of a bitch, but was unable to reach him before he was removed from the courtroom. He pled not guilty, even though his confession was played, even though everyone had seen the TV interview that he had done. During the trial, the defense 
called a witness that said Stainer had 20 signs of mental illness, which I mean, so do I, and I'm not a murderer. So do many people, and they're not murderers. And this is the first time the term serial killer was used in describing him, which I know we've talked about this before, but just in case, like the FBI, like criteria for a serial killer is you have to kill three or more people. You have to kill over a period of time and you have to have a cooling off period in between the crimes. A letter he wrote was read to the jury that said, I know right from wrong and I don't think I'm insane, but there is a craziness that lurks in my head. Thoughts I have tried to subdue as long as I can remember. I'm just sorry that you were there when the years of uh, fantasizing my darkest dreams became a reality in the flesh. And photos of Julie's body were also shown in court. Which, again, traumatic. I can't even imagine. Sylvina's parents came over from Argentina. They came over through donations because over the course of the, like, two years, they had lost their family business dealing with all of this. And her dad said the only reason he didn't kill Stainer during the trial was because of his other daughter, Paula, who was 24 at the time. And he said that he counted. He had more than 10 opportunities to kill him during it. And that honestly sounded like something your dad would say when I read that. Yeah, it for sure does sound like that. And uh, warranted. What warranted. What would feel like that? What parent mm-hmm. wouldn't be like, I could do it now. I could do it now. I could have done I it just then. Do it now. Yep, just look now. right there. On August 26, 2002, Carrie Stainer was convicted of first-degree murder. And a few weeks later, the jury spent less than four hours determining if he was sane at the time of the killings. He was. And then they had another trial that determined whether or not he should be sentenced to death or just the life without parole that he was already serving. His parents made a plea asking for his childhood to be taken into consideration. They talked about the lack of attention he received because of Stevie's abduction. They talked about how he didn't receive the love that he needed. They should have been talking about the therapy he should have had, but they said no to But it didn't matter. On October 10th, he was sentenced to death for the murders of Carol, Julie, and Sylvina. And since then, he has given a 2020 interview. He blamed OCD on his inability to control his compulsion to kill. He has done drawings that sell, like, on auction websites. Um, So he's still kicking it? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sun family was awarded a million dollars in a wrongful death settlement from the Cedar Lodge. And I tried to see if Sylvina's family was also awarded money, but I could not find any record of that. Um, but with the death row overhaul in California, it is unlikely that he's ever going to be executed. Yeah, no, he, you know. So right now he's just hanging out at San Quentin, which is where Scott Peterson is as well. Ugh. Just like all the crazy Bunch of shitheads. Just one million shitheads full okay guys say it with me convenience we're busy you don't want to lug around your big blender and you sure as heck don't want to stand in line or pay the prices at a smoothie bar you want quick nutritious and you want it on the go i have to tell you about my hands down favorite new kitchen gadget the blendjet 2 blendjet 2 is portable so you can blend up a smoothie at work a protein shake at the gym or even a margarita on the beach I'm already counting down to warm weather so I can blend up a cocktail from the boat or the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. 
BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. Because remember, we love convenience. There are 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from. I am obsessed. Meg is obsessed. We've been texting about this nonstop. My husband already picked out one that matches his style because we both have to be able to make margaritas. I mean, nutritious smoothies. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. And this is like, at first I was like, man, he had such a, there was such a traumatic event. Maybe it triggered something. But he said that he fantasized about killing girls from the time he was like six or seven, which is way before his brother was abducted. So it's like, can't really blame that. Yeah. And, and even, I'm, you can like take his childhood into consideration again, but like a symptom of mental illness is not killing people. Exactly. That's not a, that's not a symptom. No, it's not. Like I have like four different mental health disorders that I'm just, finding about out like finding out about this year that's not counting the shit I already had so it is a huge disservice to anyone who suffers from a mental health issue to be like that's why he killed like he had OCD meanwhile like my husband has OCD and he's not killing anybody like you know what you do you go to therapy and you handle your shit and having fantasies about killing young girls is not OCD nope I'm sure someone's going to come at me and be like, you don't even know. Okay, I don't. But all I'm saying is (laughs) there's a ton of, there's a shit ton of people who have mental health issues and they are not serial killers. And You know, I, in the last episode you did about his brother, about Steven, you talked about how the city like declined naming a park after him. And I don't blame them now. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's why. Yeah. Because I'm like, I feel like this whole family, like the sister, because it never mentioned which sister was abused. The sister that was abused never got the therapy from being Did sexually abused. Did she ever like, co- like, because obviously their dad never went to jail for that, but their uncle did. And it's, oh, what a mess. It seemed like one of those situations where a lot of things were brushed under the rug. And it was like, oh, but you're, sorry, you just got to kind of deal with it. And therapy probably would have worked wonders for this family. Because even... When um, I read one book where it said up until his parents died, um, his died, his dad died in 2013. I'm not, I can't remember when his mom died. Um, But up until then, they visited him once a week. And his dad talked about when he was made to go to that group therapy from like when he had his psychotic break. And he was like, you probably should have stayed there. And it's like, bro, he probably should have been in therapy his entire life. Like, his entire life. Honestly. I mean, yeah, that would have been great. I don't know if... I don't think fantasizing about killing someone that young without, like... I don't know if it would have made a difference. 
it's the lead. <laughs> the lead. It's that same age of people, like you know, who were like that golden era mm -hmm. serial killer time when they're all just like, it's like something was just in there waiting, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I don't know how true the lead and gasoline thing is, but it's. I think about that every time you tell me a case or we read about a case or we learn about a case from that era. Just the. Yeah, I mean, this Oof. was 1999. So it's like. I know. Still, it's just like they're like the 50s, born in the 50s, 60s, like that age of dude, primarily. It's lawless. I just think of that time as lawless. Like, every person you met was a serial killer. And when they talked about, like, the golden age of Hollywood, when there was, like, seven or eight serial killers operating at the same time or whatever. And we was. get so, like, we get a lot of emails. And a lot of those emails are people who knew people who have been murdered by serial killers. We know we get emails from people who were like, oh, yeah, they were almost murdered by serial This person I'm related to was a serial killer. Like, there's a lot of. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. It is nuts. I have always been more, like, sketched out by people. But since we started the podcast and, like, not so much researching cases. Because I know that sounds weird. But, like, this is, a, like, this is, like, me researching about a case. I've always done that. Like, my entire life I've read about true crime. It is when people email us and they're, like, because the, it's every day. And, like, my heart, like... Too soft for this world, man. It's too soft. Because <laughs> I know. I, I want to like talk about every single thing we get and every single thing they talk about. And we do read them and we do you know you empathize with those emails the best you can. But it's it's I'm doing it's a scary world out there. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a case like just in and I live in a very small town just in. I would say a two month span of like just talking to people because I don't like outwardly tell people that I have a podcast. Um, yeah, me either. And when people start to find out, they're like, oh, didn't you hear about this murder? You know, such and such and such. And it's like so small. Like everyone I know is like related or like, you know, connected to these murders. And then my middle son's like one of his best friends. He didn't know I had a podcast and he messaged me. He's like, hey, my mom was murdered and it was unsolved. And I would love to come on your podcast and talk about it. And I was like, He's like, I've been trying to do this for years. And I was like, I would love for you to come on the podcast. You say when, like, say less. We'll talk to you about it. We'll get her story out to as many people that listen to our podcast and beyond if we can. But I was like, how do I know so many people like affiliated with murder? <laughs> we all do. Everyone does. And they Everyone don't realize does. it. Yeah. Yeah. Start asking your grandparents and like all those little seek family secrets that people are keeping. Y'all know some start murders. coming out. Oh, it's, well, that was really, that was quite the bummer. It was really just like family tragedy after family tragedy. And I hate that what should have ended is a relatively happy story. You know, like. Uh, they got Stevie their family escaped. back. Yeah. Yeah. He saved Timmy's life when he escaped. You know, like. What should have been, that should have been the end of the conversation about it. You know, it should have been, he could have went out with, you know, like this is. I think if nothing would have happened to Steven, this. I think we still would have, have 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 
it just like it makes me hate him even more because he saw what his parents went through pining to where their son could be like they he saw that firsthand not many people have that firsthand experience of this is what the inside of a family dynamic looks like when a family member has been abducted like he knew what that does to a family and he still was like hey you know what i'm gonna fucking do this anyways yeah what a creep Ugh. And every time people were like, he's so good looking. I was like, Ugh. who Ugh. who says that shit? Ugh. He's so charismatic. Makes me angry. But people said the same thing about uh, Bundy. And I'm just, girl's not seeing it. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, stop glorifying these serial killers because they're fucking disgusting. I, I honestly think that has to be like... Uh, I like I want to say like I don't even know I don't even know who's saying that people who want to be edgy like it's like they're saying it even though they don't actually think that they just want the attention for saying it I don't know yeah and it's like uh one of those oh he's a bad boy like how do he will kill you bad boy not like he's gonna cheat on you with your friend bad boy like yeah you can't change him you're not gonna change him you'll end up dead you'll end up dead what? I don't. I remember when we first got on TikTok, there was a lot of that. Like, oh my god! Like, and then that uh, extremely wicked or extremely evil, wicked, whatever the Zac yeah, Efron yeah, portrayal Zac of Efron Bundy. Yeah, and they were like, oh my god, Ted Bundy. I was like, that is not what he looked like. Like that's. I not- think a lot of people too came out and they were like, "Hey, this isn't okay." And I do. Yeah, think that I stopped yeah. significant, not yeah. completely, but like slowed down. I think people are like, "Oh yeah, that's not okay." I'm just saying, if one of you guys comment anything about his looks on this picture, I'm gonna put you on blast. Because I'm feeling petty this week. <laughs> it's been a time. No, it's no, we're we're. We're accepting calmer, calmer waters for January. For 2023, we want calm, serene life. Right oh, now. my God. <laughs> I thought I remember telling you last week, like, here's to, you know, hope in 23, 2023 is any more eventful. And then the reason why this episode is coming out so late is my son is in like a full walking boot because he like fucked up the entire t- top part of his foot and it looks gross and. And then we I was had gonna to ask, is it like broken, broken? Is it sprained? Is it so he has like I thought it was broken for sure. And they can't tell because of like how swollen and stuff it was that it could be like a fracture, but it's definitely like a severe bruise, like all the way down. So he's in this boot, so his toes don't bend when he walks, whatever. So they don't so they stay straight, right? Yeah. And you know he fell at school. So he felt, look, I'll be honest, this is bad mom <laughs> I'm like, how do you do this? <laughs> this is bad momming right here. Because I have no idea really when he did this. Because <laughs> I've heard three different stories about how this happened. I've heard three different stories just when he was talking to the doctor about how this happened. Oh, he was um, definitely doing something he wasn't supposed to. He was to. definitely doing something he wasn't <laughs> supposed to. To the point of when we took him to school today. There was a 34 minute, and I know it's 34 minutes because my husband takes, my husband and I have this thing. He takes the kids to school in the morning and then I do pickups. And he 
was late picking up our daughter to where I called him. And I was like, did you forget to come back and get her? Because they have a 20 minute difference between when they have to be at school. and We live so close to school. He just comes back and gets her. And he had to have a pep talk for like 34 minutes because he did not want to go inside the school with this boot on his foot. And I told him, tell him he could go in the school with the boot on his foot or my boot up his ass. Like you have to get <laughs> your pick. Your pick, son. <laughs> and of course, like we don't say that to him, but I had to get my red format out. But I was like, because we ha- we're hashtag blessed with very good insurance, but it's still freaking expensive. Like I don't even. It, ugh, I would be, you know, I'd be and I still really happened. Have a feeling that him and his best girlfriend that they have, like they're like not like girlfriend, but like his best buddy, best bud that he has. I think they're fucking around. <laughs> I don't really know, but it's a whole. It's a whole thing. And it makes you me. You could get the other kid to tell their parents what happened if you like put the pressure on it. I'm actually going to go over there here in a little bit and talk to her mom just like to chit chat because she um, had never worn Lululemons before. And I was like, oh, you got to try them on. She's like, oh, I don't want to go to the store and try them on. And I was like, I'm going to send my son over with like my oldest son. I'm going to send him over real quick with three different kinds for you to try. And you just let me know what you think. So I have to go over there and pick up my. You're loot. you're fully you're fully on the everyone. I everyone can't help it. I can't help it. You, you I can't help it. I do have a problem. I actually just got this new Lululemon shirt that I'm wearing under here, and like I can't help it. It's my it's my weakness. And I've tried. I tried going back to my Amazon ones where I was like, hell yeah, the dupe. And then I'm like the dud because this is not the same. I still like mine. I still like my Amazon ones. They're fine. I just can't help it. I don't know if it's like <laughs> I just like saying that I have Lululemons on, which could be a mental thing, like being a pretentious, petty little bitch about me. <laughs> you know, could be. You like the you enjoy the finer things in life. That's true, though. You do. I do enjoy the finer things in life, and You're I will like, save if you my. Tell, if it's well branded and it's got a higher price point, you're always like, "Yep, that's good. I I'll take that." Influencers dream. <laughs> <laughs> like my like Lululemon belt bag, my Stanley Cup, like everything. Gen Z could literally get me to buy freaking anything. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like this is what we're wearing. Okay, I'll take, I'll take twenty, I'll except take for the low rise cargo pants. Mama's not getting no. into that. Uh-uh, sorry, babe. I can't. I did these that. Are not, I, these are no longer low rise hips. No. No, I'm barely like working on high rise jeans over here. (laughs) No, because all your you only have Lululemons now. Why would you need to wear high rise jeans? I don't understand. I did buy um, high waisted wide leg pants, and I have. You looked great though. I have a couple pairs, and I, you know, I like them. I like the way they look. But I like the way like my high waisted skinny jeans feel better. Like they just yeah. feel better to me than. But I still uh, am wearing them. I'm trying them out. I bought uh, my boss actually like his his wife does thrifting like where she'll like go thrifting and then do like uh, Instagram lives where she'll sell shit. No, like reseller. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's been my jam lately. And then she shared a story on Instagram from this other girl who did the same thing. And I bought a Skims bodysuit for the low, low. You got, you got it. So it this comes is the on next Friday. Thing. This, this comes is the on next Friday. thing that's you're going to just go down the rabbit hole with. You're like, I have to have it all. I just read that it could snatch you in a pair of jeans. And that's what mama needs. Like, <laughs> I was thinking like, man, this would be so cool to wear with like, you know, fun jeans when we go to my birthday celebration. This will be fun. Or I can just wear it like as like to make me be able to fit into other things. That <laughs> night. Just whatever you need. I just need to know what's fun, what's cool to wear. What's the, what's the, what's, what's the, the hip the new the hello, fellow kids? What's the what's hot up? gossip? Ah, oh, I love you. You keep me young. <laughs> That's how I feel about Gen Z. <laughs> they are precious. I like them. And they really yeah. haven't kind of figured out. Look, boomers and like Gen X, whatever, they can talk all the shit about Gen Z that they want, but I have never met a more like, eat shit and die generation in my entire life like the oh this isn't good for my mental health i will be removing myself from this narrative yeah and I'm or like, like just they the shit that they talk like when my gen z classmates talk shit i legitimately get scared like there's <laughs> there's one girl and i love her She's my favorite. Actually, when I bought wide leg pants, I texted her and I was like, am I stupid? Am I old in these? And she was like, no, no. Um, but when she like starts talking shit about people, I feel fear in my body. I'm like, I would never want to be on the opposite side of your shit talk. No, it because they start coming for some like personal things. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, oh. Maybe this is just like maybe we did that too when we were twenty, but I don't. I don't think so. I'm because afraid. Like, we would I'm joke about things. We would joke about because they'll bring out insecurities you didn't even know you had. <laughs> like, that's is true. that how you're yeah. gonna part your hair? Really? That's the hill we're gonna straight die up straight for the side part. And I was like, like oh, I oh. straight up heard her call, and like I know part of it is like just mean joking which we've talked about before but i straight up heard her call one of our other friends an old bitch and i was just like oh my god <laughs> and like they were play fighting but their play fighting does not sound like play fighting and i always as soon as it starts i'm like this makes me uncomfortable i'm walking away from well you it's because immediately like if i feel like you're about to embarrass me i'm gonna get real fucking personal and then i'm gonna just end it like, we're not going to be friends after that because we'll go from like, is that how you're going to part your hair? And I'm going to be like, is that why your boyfriend cheated on you? Like, I don't know how to play. Like, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> you play too rough. I play too rough. And it's like. You play too rough. Yeah, I can't play too rough. I get, I start to feel like, I can feel it on my skin. I'm like, ugh. This is yucky. I don't like this feeling. I don't like to be embarrassed. So it's like, I'm going to hit hard and fast so you don't embarrass me. I can't even. I don't know. Wait, you I, know what? It's my so easy for me to get embarrassed. My 12-year-old, the shit that he talks to, like, just joking. And he'll just be like, Haha, that's why I don't even it's know. It's just going to get worse. They're just going like, to get. 
eventually the confidence you feel as an anonymous on the internet will seep into real life and that same confidence will come through yeah <laughs> that's must my, be what it is i can't i like my hip popped or something i was just like existing and he was like what kind of home do you like and i was like what he was like i'm just trying to get some ideas for the future <laughs> and i'm like you're twirl. you're twirl. I'm going to be put into my sweet husband who has experienced what every military member experiences. And he has gained his like quite a bit of weight since he got out of the air force. And he will be like, are you going to eat that? Like subtly bodily body shaving my husband. And he's like, (laughs) or he'll be like, dang dad. And I'm like, (laughs) you're like big mean. (laughs) And they they joke with their friends like that, like him. Or is he just like little you? Like he's just going straight for the throat. Maybe. (laughs) But him and his friends start talking shit to each other. And I literally was like, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Because your friends are humbling each other real quick. (laughs) Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe they'll be better grownups for it. Like one of the things they talked, he was talking about Colin, my oldest. He's like, oh, yeah, you're so lanky and skinny. And my was like, call me when you could. He was like, call me when you could reach the top cabinet. And I was like, he can't control his height. And he's like, I can't control how tall and skinny I am. And they're just chat. They're just like talking shit on Fortnite like this to each other. That's <laughs> uh, funny. It's funny that they're playing Fortnite and doing that. Just yeah. like standard 12 year old boy stuff. Well, they were talk like they'll play in soccer and they're like, is your girlfriend here? Like to the other team. Like, is your girlfriend here? Which one is she? Who's your girlfriend? And my husband's like, wait till you start asking them, is your mom here? Like, which yeah, one's I your would mom? just switch over now. I would just you switch start over. that. You want to call me dad now? <laughs> Son, you're grounded. Oh, uh, yeah, you're definitely going to get calls from parents with that one, I think. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mom ain't easy. Mm-mm. Especially when you're <laughs> one of those moms. And I'll be like, well, that's funny, but inappropriate. And I'll talk to him about it. <laughs> Don't worry. It's funny and inappropriate. But I'll talk to him about it. Maybe. I, you got it. What did he say? <laughs> what happened? What made him lash out like that? <laughs> I also tell him that you're only one comment away from someone hitting you in the face. Always. I'm like, you never know when you're going to say that Someone's one comment. snap. Well, it's going to be that one comment that, speaking from experience, that you didn't think was a big deal until it was, and then you got hit in the face. I remember watching that happen in slow motion at, at 12 years old. Like, I remember the two girls, I was both friends with both of them, and one said something, and the other one was just like, today's not the day, you just reared back and punched her right in the face. And I was like, that happened to my husband. He got his uh, cheek bro- broken. Because really? he was talking shit. Like in eighth grade, and the guy just around was like, What? They don't have their bit. prefrontal cortexes. There's nothing there to just reel them in. They're no, raw emotion and power. He's going to get hit in the face for sure. <laughs> I'm you already practicing my I shock almost, face. I almost like would rather him be the one hit in the face than the one hitting in the face, though. Oh, yeah. He's never going to hit anybody. <laughs> yeah that's not him sweet boy sweet shit talking boy moms of teenagers how you doing dads of teenagers how you doing we hope you're alive and making it 
tell us how your teenage daughters are because that's what the stage I'm least looking forward to. Yeah, everyone tells me that because I only have girls. So they're all, every single time I'm like, oh, yeah, girls. So they're like, oh, yeah, 14 will be real fun. Every single person who has had teenagers says that exact line to me. Oh, yeah, 14 will be real fun. I'm like, what happens at 14? Oh, I'll tell you what happens off air at 14. If I have, <laughs> let me tell you. That's when I got arrested in my living room. <laughs> Hard lessons were learned. I, I was stabbed by 15. So. <laughs> so, man, I just kind of wonder, like, are we, is it because we're trying to, like, stifle them so hard and, like, we don't like that they're growing to their own people or are they really just monsters? Probably a little bit of both, but. I think it's both. Because, like, I think you still have to stifle a little bit, like, because you have to think you're raising adults, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have there's to be able to unacceptable be productive. behavior. Yeah, and then there's, like, they're going to just shit talk and crush you, and every day I'm pretty sure my kids wake up, like, how can we destroy her today? Well, you know, how here's can... to not raising serial killers. hey Here's to making sure that <laughs> we hopefully have directed a path that is less that they won't end up on a podcast over on our podcast because that would be extremely <laughs> awkward but you know we'd have the inside scoop it might be good could, could work uh <laughs> i don't know about that i don't i would not be visiting them every day in prison no not once a week even no or at all it depends what they do yeah honestly if this is the carrie stainer situation i'd be like oh you know what I got other kids to worry Carrie about. Who? I'd call him Gary. Gary? Is your Sorry, name Gary? Your relation. Ugh, but honestly, if his dad did that shit. His dad should have been in jail too. Like, I agree. Oof. I agree. Ugh. That was a I rough case, note. my friend. Yeah. My first two parter, though, I kind of dug it. Yeah. I hope I have like, done I don't, like two part with each of us but never just like you with two separate no i hope i don't have any other family connections like this <laughs> that i stumble upon in my research but you never know you never know if you got them send them to us yeah let us know make sending us your crazy emails mm -hmm. we read them all like even them. if we don't respond right away we read them all and you'll eventually get a response it just may take a bit forever it's probably it's actually kind of Meg. It's not Meg's fault. It's my fault because I like to read them and then mentally respond, and then they look red, and then Meg sees it, and she's like, "Oh, surely she responded." No, uh, I've been uh, not great about it either, just because, you know, school life. But I'm almost done. Oh, I'm saying that, and I will never have time to actually do stuff again. You only get All on that note, we'll see you next week, guys. Yes, bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code gruesome with a capital G for 30% off your first three months.
We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcast on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 